I'm Rita Ching Epic, and you're listening to Grottopod. Roberto Lovato is a journalist, organizer, writer, and catalyst for many new ventures at the Grotto, such as Rooted and Written. He is a prolific writer and has a book coming out in September from HarperCollins, which we'll talk about closer to the release date. Today, we will be talking about his involvement with Dignidad Literaria, a grassroots campaign for greater Latinx inclusion in the U.S. publishing industry. Well, hello, Roberto. Thank you for being with us today. One of the things that I would love to talk with you about today is, you know, I, how did you get involved with this entire matter around Janine Cummings' Amer- American Dirt book? Well, really, we, we've transitioned beyond Janine Cummings, wherever the hell she is at this point, and uh, that silly book. Uh, Dignidad Literaria, we're more about ourselves, the Latino voice of 60 million people systematically erased and excluded and discriminated against by the publishing industry. And mm-hmm. so my own involvement came shortly after my colleague Miriam Gerba, a fabulous writer, wrote a extraordinary critique of just tearing down in great detail the, the short, you know, the book American Dirt for its mm-hmm. racist content, stereotypical tropes and, and, and other really just absurdities like, for example, you know, the, the language and, and just so much. So I, I, I saw the critique and I, as somebody who has traversed mm-hmm. the migrant trail for 30 years, right. read the book in a very particular way. And so when I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this book, I'm reading it and I'm, you know, watching the descriptions and I see like, you know, I go back to 30 years ago, I saw mm-hmm. houses full of children bombed you know, which started the refugee crisis for Salvadorans 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. or a little over 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I watched as people migrated out, you know, to Honduras and then north to the United States. I watched as the gangs were born, and that was another reason people were born, Mm -hmm. were migrating in the post-war era. I've been to, you know, Mexico where the the bestia on the train that people ride, as described in the book, have, have... you know, I've seen people get on that train, and I've spoken to many who've been on that train. I've been, you know, approached gun in hand by cartels who've questioned me about my journalism, about these matters. I've been to the border, you know, where you have the Obama administration building prisons that, you know, jail children and mothers for the crime of surviving, trying to survive. And I've seen children, cross, after they cross that border and their skin, their tender skin gets, four-year-old skin gets cut mm-hmm. by barbed wire. So then when I see the cover of that book with barbed wire, right. when I see the book being marketed with barbed wire centerpieces at a lobster dinners with centerpieces that are made to look like barbed wire fencing, I, I I just look at this not just as a cartoon as it is, because mm-hmm. the writing is terrible and the book is stupid, but I also just really I'm indignant. Sure. And so I come back to the book and Dignidad Literaria, I came to it because we were organizing Dignidad Literaria before this whole book thing hit when, because of the Association of Writers program, the AWP, the biggest literary conference in the United States, we were already gearing up to start staging actions against, 
you know, AWP, not against AWP, to educate people that, sure. at this massive thing about our condition as Latinos in the U.S. who have been systematically excluded. Just to give you an example, mm -hmm. there are tens of thousands of books published every year in the United States for adults. Do you know how many are, are written by and about Latinos? Less than 5%. 145. Okay. Not 145%. Right. 145 of tens of thousands. Right, right. So that gives us some, some, I think, striking sense sure. of the abysmal condition of Latinos vis-a-vis -vis U.S. publishing. And so we're, we're, we've quickly taken the crisis that it was exposed by this book written by this rich white woman who, you know, only suddenly starts coming out that she has a grandmother that's mm -hmm. Latina right before the book publishes, and she starts talking about her husband who's undocumented, and only after it comes out that she says he's uh, Irish. Irish, yes. yeah. So, you know, you know, I came into this, and I saw the opportunity as a, you know, sometimes organizer in my past, mm -hmm. co-founder of Presente.org, country's largest online organization for Latinos. Yes. And previous work in different conditions, including those of war. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, let's take this energy and focus it where it belongs, yeah, on the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that was so impressive to me, how quickly you were able to turn this away from being about the book mm -hmm. to being about the systematic silencing of oh, yeah. uh, land voices in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And about the industry. Absolutely. Right? That's yeah. the... So we, and the lightning speed was not incidental, it was intentional. Right. Well, it sounds like it's been in the works for months, years at AWP. We've been thinking about these things. No, the, the, the work on AWP was being planned months ahead, but right. the, the lightning strike to focus on specifically on Macmillan and Flatiron sure. came about uh, because some of us made the call, you know, when you're organizing, you have uh, folks that you're organizing against that you're... You know, either your adversary or your 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 organizing target. You want to give them the least amount of time to prepare, and so a lightning strike dis dis disorganizes them, disorganizes their senses, mm -hmm. and puts them hopefully in a in a state of of crisis right. internally and externally, mm -hmm. which actually happened. And so we 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 did so well. We actually got a meeting with the top CEO of Macmillan, one of the top dogs in global publishing, and we negotiated with, we got them to the negotiating table, and we got them to agree to a specific measurable uh, action plan. We were going to get the details of the action plan, but we had, we had an agreement right. on paper, basically. We, we both agreed to the spirit and letter of it. Mm -hmm. We got, um, you know, commitment to increase Latino titles by Macmillan, increase staffing, mm -hmm. increase authorship by Latino authors. So we're going to meet next month in March uh, about these matters. Well, so it sounds like on the Macmillan front, what the future steps are already underway in the sense that you're trying to improve representation across the board at the company as well as among the authors that the company represents. Please correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. We, don't, we, we, we made a conscious choice to avoid the use of what we consider dead civil rights language. Okay. Civil okay. rights language and practice didn't really serve us in U.S. publishing. Otherwise, we wouldn't have just 145 okay. books among tens of thousands. Very true. We're talking about, 
we're in another moment too. We're in a post civil rights moment. We need a a new discourse that energizes our people for the current what we call neo fascist moment that we're in. Yes. And so we're really concerned. And I think if you look underneath this, mm-hmm. it's not just even about publishing. It's about kind of the Latino response to the neo-fascist moment that cages, that mm-hmm. dehydrates children, mm-hmm. that pu- pushes uh, us against a corner that drives white supremacist mass murderers to go kill people in El Paso and other sites of yes. oppression. And so... Uh, we're in a very dangerous and opportunity-filled moment. So we are very conscious of the danger, and we're going to fight the forces that bring danger, as we're going to do, for example, in March 7th when we stage national actions at different locations of oppression, like ICE offices, like police stations, Trump Towers, Trump properties, mm-hmm. abortion, anti-abortion organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, any number of locations of of oppression, we will go and conduct what we call political literary actions under the flag of dignidad literaria and of what we're calling palabra militante, Ah. the militant word. Mm -hmm. Because we're at a time where our words and our deeds need to be militant in the face of the radical militancy that has a neo-fascist in power, like Donald Trump. So this is far, this is about far more than than books and literature. Books and literature matter, but it's about far more than that. It's about human rights. It's about human rights. Yeah. It's about dignity. Right. It's about breaking the silence that is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Salvadoran, so I'm born in the U.S., but I spent time in El Salvador during the war. Right. And I saw... I saw the way that language and imagery was used as a precursor to mass murder. So in order to take somebody's life, I know this from experience, and I know this uh, seeing other people's life being taken. And I know this from study of, say, a, scholar, a German scholar of the Nazi or named Klemper, who wrote a book on Nazi language and showed the way that the systematic use of language to dehumanize Jews and other groups, mm-hmm. gypsies, gay people, in order to then exterminate them. I actually saw in El Salvador when I was younger and then in my adolescence, when people would be talked about in certain ways, in certain language, for example, the word piricuaco, the founder of the death squads in El Salvador would be on TV and he'd refer to people as piricuacos. The next day or days later, those persons referred to as Piricuaco ended up not just dead, but chopped up, dismembered, mm-hmm. you know, destroyed, utterly destroyed mm-hmm. in very visible ways, recommended in training training provided by the School of the Americas of the United States at Fort Benning, Georgia, and Fort Leavenworth, and other places where they trained people in counterinsurgency. And so counterinsurgency policing is now a core part of the policing models of the United States. So we're going to read our literature that humanizes us before these sites of oppression. Mm. We are very consciously, you know, going at 
counter, you know, to counter the hegemonic discourse of dehumanization that enables us to be a militarized society. It sounds like very important work, and we're so thankful that you're here to talk about it with us today. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm especially glad that I've been able to do my con make my contributions, which I think I could say well, my contributions have been a lot on the strategic side. Like, you know, I've worked on strategy here at the Grotto, and, you know, I uh, just these things just happen to be in the air when I'm here at the Grotto, and a lot of my contributions have been done out of my office here at the Grotto, with well, the help of my colleagues. Yeah, I mean, since we're on the topic of the Grotto, if I may just, you know, ask. So one of the move, one of the um, programs that we've been having here at the Grotto, Rooted in Britain, mm -hmm. I believe is you're actively involved in this. I think uh, they say I'm the founder of it. Okay, well, you're the, the one founder. I came up with the idea and picked up the phone to write, to call every writer of color in the Grotto. And I got almost 100% commitment, which is what powered the thing to its success. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about Rooted and Written and what its intentions are? You know, Rooted and Written is actually for, within my own personal trajectory of precursors Dignidad Literaria mm -hmm. in terms of how I enter the grotto and I enter literature in the Bay Area, you know, the literary community, and I start noticing, you know, you know, without any malice or anything, but these are large, still largely white endeavors. And we're in California, a majority minority, quote unquote, state. And so given that situation, I being the active person that I am, I wanted to do something about it. So I thought it would be good to, you know, we've, we've altered the mission of the grotto. We have changed the vision. We're starting, we become a nonprofit. There's a lot of structural change. And so the structure is now ready to accommodate you know, realizing our mission to be more inclusive, as all literary institutions should be. Mm -hmm. And so Rooted and Written responds to that new mission and new vision of the Grotto mm -hmm. to be more inclusive. And so we have at our disposal so much talent, you know, inside the Grotto, talent of color and not of color, right? And so why not use that as a benefit to the community to draw people closer to the grotto and the grotto closer to the community. And so we're offering a battery of courses or seminars, you can call them, by some of the country's top writers and lesser known writers like myself. I mean, I'm known as an activist, but people, and that's part of my problem right now, I'm branded more as an activist than as a writer. But my book will soon annihilate those. I'm certain. Those it will. I'm certain it will. And I think I, you know, I believe that art and activism should go together. So if you are excelling at one, I imagine you will excel at the other. Well, as you're well. very kind. And that's actually in line with my, my, my philosophy of both literature and politics. Like politics without poetry is dead. Poetry without politics is useless. In my book, at this at a, at, a, at a moment of absolute crisis like we have right now in the world and in our locales, so you know, I, I like I've said before, I've I never learned to make this artificial distinction between poetry and politics. Mm -hmm. I come out of you read my book, you know, which comes out in September, September one, unforgetting. Mm -hmm. you, you'll see that I 
I was born in the United States, but I became part of a political movement, mm -hmm. revolutionary movement that was inspired in part by poets. You had actual, for example, guerrilla organizations in El Salvador mm. who were the found were founded by poets. Right? And so the distinction between the word and the deed, the poetic and the political was never really part of my my political or poetic upbringing. And so I think we're watching a moment where for example, in Dignidad Literaria, that's becoming, that's a very clear part of what we're communicating. You will no longer be able to get away with us being these folkloric kind of people who I call part of uh, the folklorico industrial complex of U.S. Latino literature where you, know, you dress up in colorful outfits and you dance for the white gaze. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, politics without our music, who cares? That's why, that's why Emma Goldman was so right. We need to have lyrical, musical, visionary politics for a moment of such great crisis. Yeah. Excellent. Well, do, do you mind saying a little bit more about what you see as the future of Rooted and Written here at the Grotto? Well, I have a book coming out this year, so my speculations, <laughs> my divination about the future of Rooted and Written is going to be very limited okay. because I've communicated a very limited focus. I'm going to be... You know, I'm in the middle of editing my book right now. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't even be doing neither Rooted and Written nor Dignidad Literaria. <laughs> but my trajectory and the the spirit of the moment called me to action. Sure. And um, so I, I'm going to be involved in a in a limited capacity. Mm -hmm. I'll be I'll be there those days and everything. But I think the future is that we're expanding. We're expanding geographically, okay. expanding classes to Oakland this time. We're going to offer more classes. With We're probably going to double the amount of participants. Excellent. And we're going to obviously continue expanding in terms of the participation of Grotto members. I mean, Grotto members who are fellows or like yourself and others, or we're going to encourage and kind of bring into to involve. We're going to invite our, 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 our allies, who are many mm -hmm. in the Grotto, non-white allies who and that's really what's made it such a smashing success last year we had like 160 applications in a matter of a week that's way amazing. more than we expected and i think this year it's going to be because now the name's out there and people know the opportunity mm -hmm. and there's a buzz from the participants who have been you know speaking about it sure. enthusiastically and so when they see it apply i think we're going to be even more inundated, so we're doubling this the the amount, the opportunity, and the amount of stress. <laughs> so, but also the number of people it will benefit. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just you know as a person that is bald and lost most of his hair because of stress. I think I, you know, I just look at the stress factor, and I don't want others of you to lose your hair like I do. Well, thank you for being here with us today, and. We look forward to what's next coming from both Rooted Written and Dignidad Literaria. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Grotto Pod is produced by Susie Gerhardt, George Higgins, Ben Marks, Daniel Pierce, Beth Weingarner, Andrew Braithwaite, and Rita Chang Epic. The music is by Sugartown. Grotto Pod is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. 
Please review and subscribe to Grotto Pod in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rita Cheng Epic, and thanks for listening.